Acts chapter 1. If you guys aren't there, you can turn there. Um, we're going to get through three verses today. <laughs> and next week, we're going to pick up the pace quite a bit. We're going to jump up to four verses for next week. But I have sat down and I've outlined, and there's going to be, like chapter 25 and 26 just go together. So there will be a week, a year from now, that we'll get through two chapters <laughs> in one study. Uh, but going into this morning, it's more of an intro as we get into the book of Acts together. So, um, embryogenesis. And you guys know what that is? Oh, good. I get to inform you because I got to learn a little bit this week as I looked into it. But it's the formation and the growth of an embryo, a human, a new human being, uh, pro progresses in a single cell, right? So when an egg is fertilized, it's called a zygote. And when the zygote begins to divide, right, it becomes an embryo. And after eight weeks, it becomes a fetus. So a zygote uh, contains a full set of chromosomes. We know half of them come from a male and half from a female um, at inception. Well, I see the book of Acts as an embryogenesis of the church. It shows the formation and the growth of the early church. So the spiritual zygote of the Holy Spirit in man coming together to bring about new life. So question for you guys. How has God's spirit moved in our country's history? We're a Christian nation, right? That's what we say. <laughs> uh, we're going to be taking a look at the church's history, but I want to first just pause and look at our own history together. Okay, um, When did the Holy Spirit move, okay, since our inception. Well, if you look back to the first great awakening, that took place when? Early 1700s, 1720s, God began to move and shake things up here in America. It started with the Dutch Reformed. It started with the congregational churches, thanks to Jonathan Edwards and Massachusetts in 1734. If you haven't read him, by the way, I encourage you to read him. Phenomenal. They actually say that he's the best author that America's ever produced, not just as a pastor, preacher, but author overall. Um, also, that kind of sparked George Whitfield and the Wesley brothers in New England in the middle colonies in the later 30s, 1739, is when they really got going, which really brought us to the Presbyterians, the Baptists, the Methodists, all kind of sprang out of the first great awakening. And the results of what God did then in the early 1700s is we saw a widespread conversion in our country. People came to faith in huge numbers in Jesus Christ. And it also stirred up the church um, in missionary interest. That's when they began to go to preach the gospel uh, to other peoples. Also, it uh, was the founding of evangelical colleges. The Congregationalists uh, started Yale, Harvard, Dartmouth, uh, Presbyterian Princeton, and the Episcopalian Penn in Columbia. The Baptists started Brown. So much came out of this revival that took place. And at least 10% of New England was converted during uh, the first 
uh, Great Awakening. And then the second Great Awakening, this took place at the end of the 1700s due to concerts of prayer that were set up by different pastors. Uh, Finney's Revivals, you guys may have, may have heard of him, that was the early 1800s in New York City. The Revival of 1858 was really different from what had previously happened. No great names were attached to it. Laymen uh, were most responsible for what was going on during that time. Some, of, uh, some people say that it was the business people of New York because the bank panic that was taking place, people were like, oh no, what are we going to do now? Well, what do people do when they panic? They turned to God. <laughs> um, so there was a dependence on God. So that was the first outbreak in the U.S., in Virginia, and the Carolinas um, that really occurred among the African American, which a lot of them were slaves at that time. Ultimately, there were over 100,000 African Americans that came to faith uh, in Christ in 1858. Then we know of D.L. Moody down in Chicago. That was later in the 1800s. And then there's the evangelical revival, Azusa Street revival in L.A. A lot of you guys are familiar with that and all that took place there and how God moved radically. That was early 1900s. And then we know a guy by the name of uh, Billy Graham. Okay, He was the mid, later 1900s. And I know some of you have come to faith uh, through his ministry. And then there was the Jesus movement that started in the late 60s. And uh, really, Freedom Fellowship's a byproduct of that. Um, and really, since then, there hasn't really been a big move of Jesus. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'd love to be a part of a revival and I would love to see a revival take place right here in the Midwest because it has never happened here before in our country's history. And I think that would be an awesome, awesome thing to be a part of. So some moments were started with God using popular individuals, some with average Christian businessmen and folks um, just getting together. And they began to pray for revival. And then God would show up and he would move. But each one of these was deliberate, intentional, and a purposeful, purpose, purposeful move of the Holy Spirit. So, the book of Acts, simply history written with a purpose. You see, it is the development of the early church. No person set out to create a church. The Holy Spirit birthed it right in the very soul of his people. That's how the church began. So, where is the church today? Where is the church today? J.I. Packer said this, The outside observer sees the Christian faith staggering on from gimmick to gimmick and from stunt to stunt like some many drunks in a fog not knowing at all where we are or which way we should be going. Preaching is hazy, heads are muddled, hearts fret, doubts drain strength, uncertainty paralyzes action. Unlike first Christians, the first Christians who in three centuries won the Roman world, and those later Christians who pioneered the Reformation, the Puritan awakening, and the evangelical 
revival in the great missionary movement of the last century, we lack certainty. Why is this? We blame the external pressures of modern secularism, but this is like Eve blaming the serpent. The real truth is we have grieved the spirit. We stand under divine judgment. For two generations, our churches have suffered from a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. When I read that, it hit home. I'd have to agree. G.K. Chesterton said this, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tired. So, an intro to the book of Acts, guys. A couple interesting things I want to throw out. First of all, what were the last words of Jesus? His last recorded words? Well, look at verse 8 here in Acts chapter 1. It's really the Great Commission. This is the last thing he said on planet Earth. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So the book of Acts is a story of the men and the women who took this commission seriously and began to spread the good news of their risen Savior to the most remote uh, corners of the known world. And if we do a book overview of Acts, it was written by Luke. Oh. Oops, not Luke Skywalker, sorry. <laughs> it's really volume two of, uh, <laughs> of uh, Luke, the, the gospel writer. He also wrote Acts. Now, when we went through Luke, when we started Freedom Fellowship 10 years ago, it took us two years to get through Luke. We're hoping to get through this book of Luke's in about a year. Um, but it's really a two-part work. Luke was a close friend and a traveling companion of Paul. Many believe Paul or Luke uh, wrote both Luke and Acts while with Paul in Rome. And Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, only Luke is with me. Okay, that was in chapter 4, verse 11, for the reverence, if you want it. Um, so we know Luke was a Gentile. We also know that he was a phys- uh, physician and really a phenomenal historian. Uh, Luke wrote in the early 60s, um, he ended Acts with Paul still awaiting trial uh, in prison. The emperor Nero had not yet turned against Christians. That happened in 64 AD. It records the Acts of Peter. That's one thing I love. You get to know Peter and you get to know Paul very well when you study the book of Acts. The first 12 chapters are Peter, and then chapters 13 to 28 are on Paul's missionary journeys. Peter used the keys to open the door of faith to the Jews in chapter 2, the Samaritans in chapter 8, and the Gentiles in chapter 10. Paul took the good news to the Gentiles in the Roman Empire. And some would best or say that the best title for the book of Acts would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. That's what we get to read. And that's what we get to see studying this book. So this book then is for every Christian who wants to experience 
the power of the Holy Spirit and be witnesses for Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. So the question is, do you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Well, of course I do, Pastor. But the truth is, there's a lot of Christians out there who say yes, but they really don't. Because that means a certain surrender, a certain giving up of their dreams and hopes and desires and aligning it to God's hopes, dreams, and desires. Another question that we really need to ask ourselves is what part does God want you to play in taking the good news to the world? What is your part? Well, it's not my part. I'm not a missionary pastor. What are you talking about? That just went through your head. You need to start reading the Bible. (laughs) If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're in ministry, period. That's what the Bible teaches very clearly, and we're going to see God do that in the book of Acts. Ordinary men and women he used extraordinarily to bring the gospel to the known world at that time. So it simply starts with one phrase, okay? Really to answer that question. What part does God want you to play in bringing the gospel to the entire world? I want you guys to flip to Acts chapter 9 because there is a scripture here that Paul used that answers this question. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? You should underline that. Because I think that is one of the greatest prayers in all of the Bible. (laughs) Lord, what do you want me to do? I think that should be probably one of our most popular prayers. Daily, sometimes moment by moment prayers. Lord, what do you want me to do? Man, you wake up in the morning. What should your first prayer be? Lord, (laughs) what do you want me to do? What are my marching orders for me today? In most days, it's going to be the same thing. (laughs) You love me, son, daughter. Enjoy me today. And let's go do it. So, we can break down the book of Acts into three sections. Really, the first seven chapters, 1 to 7, 8 to 12, and 13 to 28. And I want you guys to catch this, okay? Because this this will really kind of reveal and uh, maybe... You'll have an awe moment here. But if you break it into those three sections and you focus on the particular audience in which those sections were being written to, the key personalities that are in those sections and the significant uh, phase in which the expansion of the gospel message was taking place, it breaks down in Jerusalem, (laughs) Judea, Samaria, and the outer parts of the earth. So what is that telling us? Wow. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is really the outline for the entire book of Acts. Pretty cool, I think. You guys probably already knew that, but I was just like, that's awesome! Anyways, so each expansion really was brought on. As you consider the progression, it was brought on by persecution of the church. And some of us is like, oh, how could God allow these things to be happening? Why does he allow his people to go through this? But as you study the book of Acts, as you study church history, man, the gospel went forth in power when God's people were persecuted. I'm okay. I'm okay 
when our government, and it will happen, I believe, in my lifetime, unless Jesus comes first, that they're going to say to me, Pastor, you can no longer teach the Bible because it offends people. And you know what this pastor is going to do? I'm going to go back to full-time jail ministry. (laughs) You know, it's going to happen. I really believe that'll happen in my day. We enjoy so many freedoms, but the freedoms we have and enjoy here in America, we should use them, but it is unlike anywhere else in the world. Brothers and sisters are being persecuted everywhere for standing on the word of God, for believing in Jesus. But that's okay, because what happens when people are persecuted? Things like what took place in the book of Acts happen. It's, it's fun. So they were able to watch the gospel message penetrate geographical, social, racial, and religious barriers. So really, Acts 1.8 really outlines the book. Now, let's get into our scriptures for this morning. We'll be taking a look at the first three verses of the book of Acts. So if you would look there with me, it says, The former account I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also uh, presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I love it. Look at verse 1. Do and teach. Do and teach. That's important. And don't just... I love this order, don't you? You know, may we not just be known for our sayings, but both the sayings and the doings of them. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know those people? They say one thing, but they never do it. (laughs) We're not to be like that as believers. Okay? And may it be said of us that our doings did not clash with our sayings. So Jesus began both to do and teach. So Acts is an account of the continuation of Jesus' work through the Holy Spirit in the early church. And look at verse 3. Many infallible proofs. So the word proof here occurs only here in the New Testament. You can look all over. This is the only place you're going to find this word. It's very unique. And it looks uh, at the demonstrative evidence in contrast to the evidence provided by witnesses. So in other words, the resurrection was proven by touch, by sight, by feel. That's why we read things like in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, Jesus saying, look at my hands. This is after the resurrection. Look, guys, at my hands. It is I myself. Touch me and see A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see, I have. And then John, in 1 John 1, 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which with our eyes and we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Okay, You can't deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? There are so many things. And one of the biggest things for me, I mean, this is definite proof. I mean, he showed up. He showed himself to hundreds of people, 
testifying, but even for the apostles themselves, each one being willing to be martyred. I mean, if they didn't see the risen Lord, there is no way they would have stepped out and did what they did for him. No way. So, we have this proof. Now, I would like to change gears a little bit and really consider some questions with you guys to uh, ponder, to think, to dream uh, with me in these things. And this is really, I'd like to start the new year and start the book of Acts. Um, And this is where you guys can put in your own practical application part in your notes here. This is the loving part. So a few things I'd like you guys to consider um, with me this morning. One of them being, what is God going to do in and with our church by going through this, through the study of Acts? Dream with me. What could God do simply going through a book in the Bible? Some of you guys know because you've done it before. It's not just this book. It's his word that's alive. It effectively works in those who believe. It stirs us up. Another question. What is God going to do in me or with me by going through this? I believe God wants to do things in the church, with our church, that have never been done before by going through this book together at this time. And I believe there's things he wants to do through each and every one of us. How do we and how should we judge if the Spirit is working in our church or in us? How should we judge that? I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be a part of a spiritually dead church. And I'll be honest with you guys, I've walked with the Lord for a couple decades now. I've seen some churches start in the Spirit and they are continuing on in the Spirit and things are beautiful. There is fruit, there is growth. It's awesome. I've also seen some churches start in the Spirit that didn't continue on in the Spirit and they just died. No good. So how should we judge if the Spirit is alive and well? Which is going to tie into the next few questions. Another question is Is our God limited to moving on how he did during the Jesus movement? If we've kind of sprung out of that, is that what we're kind of held to? Well, God's going to move in afterglows, <laughs> those type of experiences. Is that only how God moves and works? That's why I love studying the book of Acts, and that's why I'm looking forward to, as a church family, being able to study through God's word. That ties in now to the next question. Is it about us experiencing something or the world experiencing him? Let me repeat that question. Is it about us experiencing something or is it about the world experiencing him? I'm so hard not to answer all these because as we go through this, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to us through his word, you know, what he desires in each one of these. Um, Another question, would we be satisfied with a world one for Christ and the Father blessed with worshipers or do we need more? What is our longing for? 
And what if God wanted to emphasize only the boldness of faith in the next spiritual awakening? Would that be okay with you if that was just it? And what will the next Jesus movement look like? How will it be different? And who will he use? Those are things that keep me up at night, guys. Those are things that excite me. Those are things I dream about. Those are things I'm challenged with regularly. If you look at what happened last time, youth came back to church. When I hear about what took place in the 70s, the revivals that were breaking out, it was young people. It were hippies turning to Jesus. The music style completely changed. The spotlight became what was on the inside and not what people wore to church. It focused once again on the essentials of the book and not the opinion of the majority. It took a total different direction than the church had been going in a long time. So what will the next Jesus movement look like? How will it be different? Who will he use? I guess this is where it gets super personal. Will you offer yourself to pray for, to be used in, and to open, to be open to his spirit and what that next move may be? Because really moving is changing and changing is growing. People don't like change, though. You see, growing faith lives each day with eternity in view. Growing faith also isn't afraid to embrace a vision greater than oneself. Growing faith isn't afraid to take on a God-sized assignment. And growing faith invests in the most important thing. That's people. Man, I really want to preach into that. (laughs) But it's people. And we want to be about people. Because God loves all people. So it's being in mission with Jesus Christ. What does mission mean? Well, that's really an assignment, right? It's our assignments given to a particular task to a person or a group to carry out. I truly, thoroughly, deeply believe that there is something unique that God wants to do with Freedom Fellowship. I absolutely believe that he has a specific mission and we're in that mission. I'll be honest with you guys, some of my prayers this last year, there's been change, changes that have taken place in my life of late. You guys know that I've uh, stepped away from six years of uh, doing chaplaincy work for the jail ministry. I love jail ministry. Talk about people who are broken and who are ready to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a harvest there. I encourage you guys to keep praying, keep being a part of it. I know many of you guys are volunteers, servants. Uh, with our local jail ministry. Um, But in praying about transitioning into being a full-time pastor, one of my honest prayers was, God, is there other things here in the valley that you would have me to be a part of? 
our church. I just don't want to do another church. Like if we're going to be, you know, in Kakan, if we're going to be a part of what you're doing here in the valley, it has to be something unique. And really seeking him, I really feel like God has something that he's doing through us that is specific to us. Okay? We are the church. It's not this nice little old post office building. <laughs> I think this is a cute little building. Every time I drive by, I'm like, hey, what a blessing this building's been to our fellowship. But that's all it is. It's a tool. It's a building. You guys are the church. You guys are. What does God want to do with us? How does he want to knit us together more and more for his purposes? Because we're special. I mean, look around for a second. We're all a little different. And God's brought us together for a reason. You know? And what is that reason? I look forward. I look forward to what he has. And to be honest with you guys, if I didn't believe God had something unique for us as a church, I wouldn't be here this morning. I'm at a place in life where I just want to be where he wants me to be. And I hope that's your prayer too. And if God has you to be a part of Freedom Fellowship, be a part of Freedom Fellowship. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's talk about some warnings. Because here's the reality. <laughs> if we do take the mission he has for us seriously, um, if we're willing to accept that mission, his mission is our mission, there are things that the scriptures speak to us in the way of warnings, and we have to take those serious. And I want to I wanna go there with you guys this morning as we consider, because I believe God is going to stir up our hearts going through this book. I believe you guys are going to step out in ways that you never have before. I'm hoping to step out in faith, big steps that I've never done before for my God. And I know it's going to be stretching for all of us. That's just what happens. But we also get to see him do. <laughs> a lot of us, well, I don't see God doing nothing. Well, when you step out in faith, that's when you see God doing stuff. <laughs> but there's some warnings that the Bible uh, brings to light. So, if we do, one of the warnings we need to be well aware of is that the devil always fights the church when the church is on the move. Spurgeon always used to say, Satan never kicked a dead horse. He doesn't kick a dead horse. But if we are on the move, we should be expecting warfare. It's just a part of it. Especially if we're doing his business and his will, that's going to come. Satan knew that the church was on the move, so he attacked it. In Acts chapter 2, we read of 3,000 people get converted. Then what happened? Well, according to Acts chapter 4, Satan came like a lion <laughs> and had the apostles threatened. And in chapter 5 of Acts, Satan came like a serpent, influencing uh, Ananias and Sapphira to infect the church with their lying and their hypocrisy. So if Satan can't win by persecution from the outside, he will try pollution on the inside. Then Satan came as the accuser in chapter 6 of Acts. One group of widows accused the other group of widows of taking over. We are being neglected, they were saying. 
Um, and Satan likes to get the saints to accuse one another. Then according to Acts 12, Satan came as a murderer. James is killed, and Peter was put into prison, and he was kept for execution. So be warned. <laughs> if you're going to go for it with the Lord, it's not going to be easy. Those who choose to live godly, Timothy tells us, shall suffer persecution. So next time, we're going to be taking a look at verses 4 to 8, and we'll look at power. Jesus didn't only promise the Holy Spirit's presence to his disciples, but he also desperately needed transfusion of power. Okay? We need that power in our lives. You see, the task ahead of you is never as great as the power behind you. Amen? So, Father, as we consider these things, your word, um, I get excited. I get excited to be able to dive into uh, this book of Acts, just the accounts of the things that you did through the early church by your Holy Spirit. And I, I thank you that we at Freedom here qualify, for you've told us that you don't choose uh, the smart, <laughs> um, the, the mighty of this world, but you, you've chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And Lord, I thank you that we are just a bunch of normal people that love you. God, and we know there's things that you're wanting to do and to change. Uh, that isn't always easy for us. You know our nature. You understand that. But I do pray and ask for each and every one of us that you would really make our calling uh, clear, Father, specific things that you're asking us to do and uh, to do within the church, God, that we would be faithful to those things. And we do want to see you move. We know there are so many that walk in unbelief. You died for. God, you're calling to yourself. And we want to, we want to be a part of that, Father. It's your Holy Spirit that, that is at work convicting people of their sins, of righteousness, of judgment. Would you please, Lord, work through us? You told us that we are the temple of the living God and the Holy Spirit lives within us. God, and we know the church isn't this building. We know it's where we are, where we go, where we're sent. And we do want to be the fragrance of Christ wherever we go. So please, give us boldness, Lord. Empower us to do, to witness for you. And I do pray uh, just simply that you'd help us just to walk with you humbly, God. To love you, to enjoy you daily. That these things would just naturally happen in our lives because we're so consumed by you. Help us to stir one another up to do so. Let your spirit work us over for your glory, Jesus. Amen. All right, I want you guys stand. As I was studying through the book of Acts over the last year in preparation for this, <laughs> there's a scripture I came across, and I'm not going to tell you where it is in the book of Acts, because when we get there, you're going to be like, oh! This is what pastor does at the end of every service. I'm going to start doing a benediction, and it's just going to be this scripture. So, our benediction for the book of Acts 
So now, brethren, that would include sisters too. You guys understand sisterin? All right. So now, brethren, I commend you to God into the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen? Yeah. Is that a good one? I love that one. So you guys will find out where it is someday, about 10 months from now. All right. <laughs> okay, one more time. All right. And hopefully by then I'll have it memorized. <laughs> so now, brethren, I commend you to God into the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Cool. Amen.